Ben Stewart is one of the most talented documentary filmmakers in the world. He also has a beautiful perspective on everything that's going on in the world, as well as a deep understanding of Psychedelica, which was actually the name of a series that he produced for Gaia. In this podcast, we talk about the darkness documentary that we collaborated on, which is the raw, real recordings, animations, and footage from my experience in six days of total silence, isolation, and darkness in the middle of nowhere in Germany, and all of the things that came through in that process. So you'll hear more about that on this podcast, and the documentary is available for streaming everywhere on all of my channels, so give it a look, and hopefully you'll enjoy this podcast and the documentary. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Worldview. Worldview, you might have heard me talk about it. It's a stratospheric helium balloon that's going to allow you to rise up to the stratosphere, take telescopes like your own personal Hubble observatory, and look at the heavens, look at the stars, gaze at the borderline where the curvature of the earth meets the blackness of space, and then back down towards this beautiful blue gem of a planet and some of the seven sacred sites around the world, like the Great Barrier Reef, Great Wall of China, the Grand Canyon, the Aurora Borealis, the pyramids of Egypt, and see the earth in a new way while at the same time exploring the stars and the heavens like no civilian gets access to because of course you can take these rockets it's 12 minutes up and down it's a blast and you get to space for a hot second but how much can you really see in the couple minutes you're up there before you deploy down in these capsules you're going to get hours upon hours of time to both look up and look down and look within and see how this experience transforms you as an individual i can't wait to have this experience myself. So for any of you who are interested in exploring it, or if you're ready to put down your deposit and secure one of the capsules, there's been over 100 test flights. It's totally safe. If you want to hear from the chief exploration officer to hear about all the safety, check out my podcast with Alan Stern, but it's absolutely triple redundantly safe. So if you're interested in learning more or putting down a deposit, go to thewholeworldview.com. Once again, thewholeworldview.com. Next up, we have Inside Tracker. So, as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization. And so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification, sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on. And to do that, you need some support. And one of the best services to come about is called Inside Tracker. Our good friend Andrew Huberman backs them and supports them. They really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work, but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science-backed recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke, 
advice and can be really valuable. So if you're interested for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash AMP. Once again, insidetracker.com slash AMP for 25% off. And lastly, we have on it. And if you're listening to this podcast when it's freshly coming out, we are in the Black Friday mayhem. Pay attention to the commercial that I released where I play a character named Turk Holiday. And Turk Holiday is interested in one thing and one thing only, and that thing is the black, which of course is Alpha Brain Black label, makes you sharp, makes you focus like a hawk. Good for gunslinging Sudoku. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> that's what we're talking about there's all kinds of things everything has a huge discount make sure you check out all of the goodies all the door busters everything that you'd ever want from on it you're just going to save a bunch of money on it and it's mayhem and it's a lot of fun it's one of the most exciting and intense times of the year for everybody at on it so i encourage you guys to check it out there's a bunch of funny stuff that we're putting out and great deals on absolutely everything so as your gateway your door go into onit.com slash aubrey and that will entree you to the entire black friday mayhem once again onit.com slash aubrey and now an uninterrupted podcast with ben stewart ben stewart my man aubrey marcus here we are we are here you just spent months listening to the most intimate thing i have ever produced out in the world four hours of audio that i recorded in my darkness retreat so i actually think you might know me in some ways better than any human on the planet because it's pretty much me and you that have listened to that some of the most intimate stuff i've ever i've ever actually spoken aloud or recorded anywhere i mean maybe some of my deep journals like mm -hmm. the deep cuts of my deep journal somewhere yeah. i have some of this shit but this was raw man you went deep you went real deep um what i really like about it is how well you speak to the process that's going on um inside you it felt like that's the kind of stuff that goes on in me in ayahuasca journeys mm -hmm. and you speak very well to it so luckily i had um i had a lot of time to work on it I did it a lot when it was dark, when it was completely dark. So I would just listen to it. Sometimes I'd put headphones on. Sometimes I would just lay there in bed and, and listen to it. Four hours, because there was a lot of times where I would stop and I would rewind and I would, I would cut a part out and I'd be like, save that part. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was over four hours, but I think I spent like 15, 20 hours just selecting the right parts. Mm -hmm. And I made sure that I didn't um, transcribe it. I, I didn't send it off to rev.com to have it transcribed <laughs> for you. So, so somebody in Indonesia just has my most, <laughs> most intimate thoughts. They're like, hey, I wonder if Aubrey Marcus wants this stuff out in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I trimmed out the stuff that you said, like, because you, I mean, what I loved about it is you're also like, you're a let's go kind of guy. Like if, if it's a yes, then you just sent it to me. I remember you were on a plane somewhere and you were like, here it is, man. You know, I, I trust you. There's certain things I don't want anyone to hear. So I just made sure that not even my editor and stuff like that have that. So I just cut out parts and I'm like, here's what we're going to work with for the film. Yeah. But um, so thankful that you had that audio recorder. Is that something that you... What were your thoughts beforehand? Like, did you know this was going to turn into something? Did you have the audio recorder because you knew it was going to help move towards a book or something? Like, what was it? 
I didn't know exactly. You know, I, I, I've been through a variety of medicine journeys where I brought an audio recorder with me, some MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, that's a big piece of it, some different other journeys where I've had a recording. And I've always enjoyed the fact that there was a recording there. But I also realized in the darkness, there was no other way to record my thoughts. And I know that one of my patterns is, is if I get a download of something that's really valuable that I want to remember, I will spend so many you know, thought cycles, just trying to re- remember it and refresh my memory. So I got with Ryan, who's the podcast tech, always behind the cameras here. And I was like, all right, we got to black out a recorder and I got to learn how to use it in the dark so that I can at least get some of this stuff out. I thought that maybe it could become something. You know, obviously I've released a Wachuma documentary and an ayahuasca documentary. And there was some part of me that was like, maybe this will become something. Mm-hmm. But I'd never been in the darkness, so I didn't know. But either way, I knew this was going to help keep me sane and actually allow me to progress to new material, um, assuming that I had the faith that I was actually recording something, which right. I had to struggle with. And I think you actually heard that on the recording at you some point. You said, uh, yeah, it was a really funny moment because you were also dealing with like, um, you basically said, you know, I hope, I hope this is being recorded, but you know what, I'm just going to release all my attachments but I really hope it's recording. And like, damn, look at me, hopping right back into my attachments. Yeah. It was great though. It was it was great. And you did. I mean, as far as I know, you you recorded everything you intended to record. There's over four hours yeah. of it there. Um, super rich stuff. Um, my favorite part was the way you explained um, God's law, mm-hmm. L-A-W, uh, loving a perspectival witness. And was that something that came to you in the dark? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much time, you know, and and the experience just ramps up steadily. I mean, the first few days in the dark, it's just you and your mind. And I was just spinning through all kinds of different things. I think I really decided that all of my problems, I didn't decide this, it just came up like everything that I was feeling internally, there was an external solution. So if I moved this house, if I changed this relationship status, if I did this one thing in business, then everything would be all right. And that's what was going to fix everything. So the first, you know, the first little bit was a lot about, you know, how I could change the external world. Mm. And then from there, I started to go like a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. And by the end, I realized that none of this, actually the, my external world was just fine. Right. <laughs> you know, there were some things I was going to come out and do, but it was really all about what was going on in my internal landscape. And that's universally true. Mm-hmm. You know? So one of the things that came out towards the middle as I started to really explore myself and my connection to the divine. And that's where this idea of God's law came up and that acronym. And I also created these acronyms. So just in case the tape recorder wasn't recording and just in case my handwriting was writing over itself, because I had a journal in there too, but writing in the complete pitch black was also difficult. Um, So just in case none of that got recorded, I wanted to remember things through acronyms. And so thinking about the divine, I realized that it really fit with LAW, the loving, you know, because my understanding of the divine is love is this universal force. This is the force, this is the substrate of yeah. everything. It's the way that we can express. And it's a it's a state of being, the highest state of being that we can actually become ourselves when we're in a state of love, as love loving another object. We think it's something we give to someone, but it's something we have to bring forward to become. It's like a state. It's a state. Yeah. It's a state that's mutually shared. And that's my understanding of the divine is that all of this is another way to look at love, love from the highest perspective. A perspectival was really important because if you think about the divine as everything, 
you know, all of the perspectives of all of us as divine beings and the divine creation of everything from the plants to the animals to the beings not only on this planet but if there's beings in other planets you know it's it's all the perspectives even the perspectives of the energies that don't have bodies and right. don't have form here at this point so as the universal perspective you know it's either all the perspectives or a perspectival because all and none it meets in this kind of point at a circle right everything mm-hmm. and the nothing so loving a perspectival and then witness was also really important because what i realized is that from really the divine perspective if all is god like paul selig says all is of god or nothing is again all and nothing mm-hmm. becoming the same then god's not rooting for anything it's not like good job way to go these people and bad job these people you know mm-hmm. that's the judge that's a different thing right which is outside of outside of god and that's i think a big area where we've gotten the understanding of the divine misconstrued we're already thinking of divine in polarity already thinking in good and bad mm-hmm. and you know that is that does have a place there is polarity and there is a place to say christ consciousness and delusion right or you know the enemy or the devil or whatever else you want to say and create this zoroastrian kind of cosmology but ultimately if you go to the source head source itself then it's just a witness it's like it's just god godding one way or another so it's not cheering these these things on and cheering and and booing these people you know over here it's just witnessing in a loving way and of course ramdas said you know the same a similar thing when he said you know i am loving awareness right you know and that's him reaching his own divine potential loving awareness but just to look at the divine in that way was really really helpful um because of course you know as you heard in that in those four hours of recording i was really grappling with judgment Mm -hmm. judgment of what i thought was good what i thought was bad what should be what shouldn't be and so understanding that from the divine perspective there's a place to escape all this was really really valuable to kind of set a landscape that i could navigate i think you know the audience is um especially now in the world really going to have access to some good tools through this because um, you know, in the world without going deep, I mean, everyone knows what I'm talking about because it's such a global thing that um, wondering if what's happening is good, right? Is, is what's happening good? A lot of people say it's bad and they have all these, you know, preferences. And usually that's, that's what has us thinking, oh, well, this is good, this is of the light, but that's dark, that's not, because my preference wants me over here. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, it's a very valuable film that's being put together and the tools that you are dredging out of yourself through that process it's interesting because we did the interview afterwards and you had mentioned so we we put this part in the film but when you came out of the darkness this was just weeks before the world went into lockdowns and you know what's been happening with businesses and it, it hasn't stopped since then and so people are I can sense it because people are emailing me all the time, but they're hungry for something not to solve the problem, but to make sense of it, to help make sense of what's going on in the world. And I think that's what's beautiful about this. And especially that part, you even mentioned Hermes Trismegistus. It was, um, help me remember that. As above, so below, as within, so without. No, it's the circumference. God God can be expressed as a circle whose uh, center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere there's nowhere yeah and that's like if 
you know, if your perspective is everywhere, right, then it is a perspectival. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love that. It definitely helped me. And I, uh, I know that the editor, the, uh, Brian Sheehan, mm -hmm. um, he just lost his father a few days ago. And he says that working on this film has been one of the most rich and valuable things throughout this process for him. As he was, you know, his father took took a while for him to die. So it was a lot of him by his dad's side as he was dying, you know, like inches away from the darkness. Yeah. And um, he found so much value in that. I find that with every film that I work on, mainly because I only work on films that I think are rich and valuable to the soul of the audience. Um, even the animators that we brought in said like this, I, like I needed this right mm -hmm. now. And I think the world is going to find a lot of value out of it as well. Yeah, that's the, that's what we're both here for. You know, I mean, of course there's <clears throat> elements to any piece of art that we create that, you know, there's our ego of course gets attached to, oh, I want it to be successful. I want people to like it. I want people to like me in it. I want mm -hmm. people to like my work that I've done. And I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that and not pretend that that's not a factor, but really, really the reason is that we want this to be medicine. We mm. want all the things that we do to be medicine for the world. And that's, that's really ultimately the only thing that, that is sustainable. That's the only thing that has substance when you actually pierce through deeper, deeper into the layers. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really, I feel that um, because every, every film that I've ever worked on has been in some sense, an altered state. And um, the first few films that I made, it was before YouTube, actually. It was Google videos. I didn't even have a concept for what viral meant. Um, that wasn't really like a talked about thing. And so when I put my first film out there, um, it started going viral. But I remember the process of my first two films. It was Esoteric Agenda and Chimatica. Uh, I barely remember the process of it. It was just stream of consciousness. It started just coming out very naturally. I didn't have a thought of how to monetize it or who it should reach or what it should do. Um, but obviously that's that's important. If there's yeah. a, a valuable message for people, then it going viral is for the same reason why we want, you know, real medicine, which, you know, doesn't need to have a certain substance or a container for it. Um, you want real medicine to be viral in that yeah, respect. Sure. And so I because think- Because the antithesis of real medicine is absolutely viral, you know, and, and speaking about the darkness, the funny thing is, is like, we use the word darkness for bad, you know, and, mm. and I think you being in this darkness, which I found, and I used the word obsequious, right? It was like, it was like a, just this loving, you know, nurturing womb of, of medicine that mm -hmm. I was in. So I, I catch myself now even using that dark equals bad. You know, certainly the darkness that I went into was everything but bad. It mm. was an access point. It was a bridge to love, love for myself, love for the world, the love of the divine. Um, but this, this shadow, you could call it, or this, uh, you know, this challenge that the world's been in, really, this has been a virus, not only an actual virus, but the virus of fear and what that's actually created in the world i think that's the thing that's far more dangerous you know long term it is it is the virus mm. you know and, and this virus of fear is something that you can't quantify you yeah. know you don't know exactly when you caught it you don't know what your viral fear load is and there's certainly no vaccine for it and mm -hmm. there's no other way other than finding the opposite which is faith or love and 
you know, one of the really challenging things about this time is fear has spread out of control, Mm. you know, and then the manipulation of people because of that fear has spread out of control as well. And, and this is just one of those journeys where I had to confront my own fears. And this is the way, this is the way with ayahuasca. This Mm -hmm. is the way with anything you have to go stare at that dragon that's in the dark that monster under the bed and say all right here i am do your worst let's see what's at the bottom of all of this and always when you have the patience and the courage to go look at your fear you find that it's all just an illusion that you know it's really you know sure you don't want to die or you don't want to suffer it's not the preferable way if i'm choosing my paths and outcomes i'm not like yeah it's all doesn't matter if i'm you know tortured and kidnapped and killed that's all good or if i live a beautiful loving life with my wife and father children and and go on to a a beautiful existence of course i want i want the latter but nonetheless there's a way there's a huge release when you can release the fear that you have of all of these things because you faced them yeah and you know that you'll be okay even if you die Mm -hmm. like even if the worst thing even if and I think that's really where a lot of this fear comes from is this fear of death because we don't understand death. And I feel like, you know, through my journeys and probably yourself as well, and a lot of people who've done these deep journeys like ayahuasca, they call it the vine of the soul or the vine of death mm-hmm. because you have to confront that, you know, For and sure. you have to like pierce that, pierce that veil just enough where you understand, all right, there's some part of me that exists beyond this physical reality yeah. and this part can't be this part can't be destroyed can't be killed it's a you know it's a it's the diamond in a world full of pillows right like nothing's going to scratch it mar it this is my consciousness this is love expressed through my perspective and this is mine forever i love that you get into the Tao because um really i mean like you know dark and light we have our preferences but of course it's more preferable to be in the light to to not have the suffering to not go through those dark nights of the soul but like if if our greatest teacher in life were only there in the light, then sure, darkness would be the worst thing because there would be no lesson in there. But why, when people really do get a lot out of plant medicines, you know, let's say ayahuasca, you're you're experiencing things that a lot of the times you'd prefer not to. But what's the outcome? You know, right? You're you're taught something about yourself. You're revealing that an aspect of you also exists within the dark, and you know seeing that and opening to it like God's law, you know, and seeing that everything that I'm learning about myself in the dark, those things, when it brings you back to things that you wish you would have done better, well, we all have those preferences, but what did, what could that teach you? That's what I see is going on in the world right now is, you know, people do use the word dark as, as synonymous with bad, you know, and stuff that we don't want near us, but like, like I said, if the teacher was always in the light, then we would all have our enlightenment. It wouldn't be such an ancient technology going right. way back because darkness is actually, you know, I was researching it for this film, um, which is what I love about films. I get to like deep dive into topics, but I've been into rites of passage and, you know, a lot of the times that's psychedelics or something else, but darkness is that technology that's been around for how long you go into how many ancient traditions from around the world they all seem to use darkness Mm -hmm. and it's to see what hasn't been seen yet and usually it hasn't been seen because we'd prefer not to see it sure yeah and the light is very distracting it's very it's just appearing all the time you know you have something to actually look at whereas 
they call this, you know, Maya, the illusion. And I think that's a paradox because it is very real. This table is very real. If I bump my knee into it, it's going to make a bruise, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's, it's real. So it's not an illusion on that dimensional reality, but on some dimensional realities, it is an illusion, you know? And I, so that's the paradox of real and not real illusion and not illusion. And I think people can get lost and like, oh, it's just all illusion. It doesn't matter. No, it matters as long as we have a body, like this is Mm -hmm. as real as it gets. But there's another level that's beyond this that we have to look at. And when you actually remove the sight of things, you get access to those other dimensional realities that are beyond this one where sight is apparent and sight takes preference. You know, and I think that's the way our brain is designed. If there's things that we can see, you know, our brain is a good portion of our brain is designed to navigate the things that we can see. Can I eat it? Is it going to kill me? And can I have sex with it? You know, like that's what our brain <laughs> yeah, that's is the thinking. the food pyramid right there. <laughs> yeah, right there. Like our brain is trying to figure that out at all times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now we got things we can eat right here on the, right here on the table. Nobody we can have sex with here in the room, but nobody's going to kill us. So it's like pretty relaxed environment. Right. You know, we've assessed it. But if we had like an unchained tiger in here trying to do this podcast, it'd be fucking hard. Half of our brain power would be like, I hope that fucking tiger doesn't get frisky. You'd get up and like start moving around and be like, <laughs> of course we can't help it, you know, but in the, in the darkness, there's the proverbial tigers, you know, mm. but there's everything, there's nothing that the brain has to worry about other than exploring those deeper depths of what's inside and what's inside is also what's beyond, you know, we're not a, we're not a drop in the ocean, we're the ocean and a drop. So the distinction between what's within us and what's without of us also also fades away. But there's something very powerful about removing everything so that you can really see deeper, deeper, deeper. I sort of loved about, you know, the film as you were talking about it, uh, you were even saying like that, it's not like there's nothing to see in the dark either. And I would love to know from you how when the vision started coming on, how it compared to things like ayahuasca or San Pedro, how those visions in your visual field compared to that, you know, what what was meaningful in it? And I know sometimes in ayahuasca, things will come by and you're like, why why would I have to look at that? And it almost yeah. seems like your, your mind is, you know. Defragging in a way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. like getting rid of some garbage. But um, I'd love to know how that compared, the visions, because, you imagine dark is so empty and you were saying it's it's anything but. Yeah, by night three, it was anything but. And it started differently. You know, I've had hundreds of DMT experiences at this point in any variety of different combinations from Vilca to Mimosa that I've smoked and in DMT to and Vilca as a snuff or ayahuasca or um, and many different analogs, you know, Silawaska is something that I definitely want to talk to you about. Cause that was one of the other beautiful things is we both have such extensive medicine experience that mm-hmm. talking to you about this, like you really got it, but it was interesting how it came on. Um, I didn't know if it was going to happen. First of all, I was like, I, you hear that people have visions and these ayahuasca like visions. I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know if I will or not. Cause even with ayahuasca, some people don't even have visions. Mm-hmm. I always have. Um, but I didn't know if this was going to create it, if my neurochemistry was actually going to produce what was necessary to create that, whether that's um, producing, you know, whatever, whatever it was that was going to, you know, whatever it was that was going to create the visions, whether that's, uh, you know, something that is actually DMT producing or whether that's uh, restricting the things that prevent, you know, us from 
having access to DMT. We talked about that with John Dean and, and right. John Chavez, you know, whether we're actually producing which which part of it, whether we're producing the vine or the or the leaf, mm -hmm. you know. And um so ultimately I didn't know. But when it happened, when it started to come, then it started with like flashes of light. And this was almost like someone was subtle, like there was a subtle strobe light. And it was just steady. And this is how it came on. Just a strobe light, no content within the strobes, but everything would flash from, you know how when you close your eyes, like there's a kind of like a muted orangish yellow light mm -hmm. that kind of can come through as you like, as your eyes have maybe adjusted to light that has already exists. It was like that color that hmm. was coming through. And then that quickly, you know, over the course of some hours um, morphed into these like glowing, dripping globules of light that were around the room, almost like dripping, pulsing stalactites and, you know, of- We call them polyps. Polyps, yeah, yeah, yeah. polyps is a great word. And they were just this, these dripping globs, polyps of light hmm. that, were, that were like around, I mean, obviously I couldn't see the room, but there was this kind of room feeling like I was in some kind of cave with these glowing polyps. And then the flat, the strobe effect started to slow down. And then eventually the polyps gave way to more of the fractal DMT visions. And mm. it was light. It was always like an ayahuasca come on or twilight. It wasn't like the peak where you're just getting blasted with lights of all colors and fractals within fractals, right. you know? And uh, and then from there, from that place, that was steady. But then there was also visions that could come, like the vision of my father and the vision of Buddha and all of these different visions that came. And there was also interesting moments that reminded me of Iboga visuals, where things were absolutely eight, you know, eight D photorealistic, you know, like full on, like eight K. I mean, like mm -hmm. full on, like whoa, this is this is crazy like realistic and those would come in every once in a while as well so it was a really like rich visual landscape starting from day three all the way up through day six and it was just incessant you know mm. and i had my aura ring um that was going and i don't know how it kept a charge but it somehow did uh and i was sleeping steadily less started off sleeping like nine hours seven hours and then it got down to like four three, two, two, you know, it was like less wow. and less and less because the visions were so strong that like, I wasn't really able, I wasn't really able to sleep. You know, I would just drift off for a little while and then, you know, I would take naps whenever I would take naps, but yeah, that visionary state was intense. And that was where it got really intense. And then a lot of the emotional content was coming through. And I think, you know, the DMT, obviously same with ayahuasca. It's not about the visions, it's about whatever your emotions are, mm -hmm. dark visions, you know, beautiful visions, powerful emotions, a lot of tears, some anger, different things that were inside me that were that were coming, all part of this kind of purgative psychic process to get me back to a deeper state of love and appreciation for the world. Man, I, I loved it. And there was, what I loved, I had access to so much of you. So I really tried to give like a nice well-rounded um, view of like what it was that you were going through. So there were some funny moments um, there were obviously some sad moments. There were moments where it, it seemed like you were just, um, I guess just kind of like irritated by yourself or something that was going sure. on and it was working itself through. But there, there's this one moment where 
you were like adjusting in your seat and you were like, I know Bob Lazar and everything like that, you know, aliens and, but like, I don't know. It could all just be one big DMT trip because I'm seeing tons <laughs> of flying saucers up in here. Yeah. And uh, what was super cool about this was like, how am I going to, because I didn't want to cover every bit of the dark. I want the audience to experience the darkness with you, but also, you know, have something other than just a black screen to look at. So we got the animators working on that golf ball planet with sprouts coming out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and also that I... I when you were talking about the polyps hanging off the ceiling that are glowing, I saw this um, kind of cathedral rounded, um, kind of like a cave, but something almost Alex Gray, like those sure. ha those halls. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what I saw. So we, we got the work starting to animate some of those things. And it's, it's gonna be a cool experience because we, what we tried to do was there was a lot of particle effect. And these animators were like, the, the coolest thing is we get to animate from a black background, because mostly they don't ever get to do that. They don't animate from black, you know, come on and then and then fade back out. Yeah. So we got the opportunity to do that, um, coming from like, you know, the darkness and then something like a wisp of particles comes through and then it congeals into something that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty cool evolution. What I like about um, how we're um, moving through your process, going day by day is almost like, you know, um, you know, day one, this is kind of the way it was. Day two, day three. And then, you know, by the end, you're talking, you, your voice is different. And you're even saying, um, you said something towards the very end. And this is my favorite part is right, you know, the journey out of the darkness, sure. the music that's playing and everything. And um, you say, uh, remember, well, is something like, um, remember to talk about the nervousness about the journey home you seize the sword of love today, but nobody else can see it. And that really hit me yeah. deeply because like as a as a dad, just one example, no one's gonna see 99% of the the growing up you have to do when you're a dad. No one's gonna see that. They're, you know, they'll just be like, oh yeah, you, you seem like a great dad. And they don't see like the journey you had to go through. And that's also not the point of it. And so what's great about that is you're kind of, you know, thinking like, what's what's the next step going to be? I get home. I know I've done this with uh, plant medicines before, where you're obliterated down in South America or wherever, and then it's starting to come back together. You feel it, but then you go back home, and here's all your patterns and all those lanes that take you down. And it's just, what do you do when you're in this lane? Oh, well, I I I I drink this and I eat that and I mm. smoke that. I hang out. I I complain about this or whatever. Like you get back into your patterns, and I noticed that already starting to become apparent to you, like, you know, okay, yeah. tomorrow I leave and there's a journey home. So we organize the entire uh, journey that you go on to the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the beginning, there's the calling. You, you have Akshay um, talking about his experience and you're like, dark retreat. Yeah, I wanna try that, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. And it's, it's a beautiful experience because you get to see um, which is rare in documentaries. A lot of times documentaries are heady. There's a lot of heady things and you, you have to like, you know, scratch your chin wondering whether you believe it or, you know, you know, trying to just keep up with all the info. But this one, it's more about just tagging along with you on yeah. this journey you're going on. And that's rare for me as a filmmaker to be able to, to do that because usually 
I have to set that up. I have to organize that. And then I have to do that for somebody else. I have to set up that journey for you. Yeah. But you actually filmed yourself with, thank God, phone mm -hmm. cameras are, are good these mm -hmm. days. Um, and just everything about it. You took a walk in the black forest. I was like, I know how I'm gonna integrate that in there. <laughs> yeah, right, right as I was prepping for the prepping for the time. And this is, you know, people have heard me talk about the darkness uh, on podcasts. And I know I did a podcast with Eric Godsey going into a lot of the content. I'll, so much has yet to be explored. And one of the things I love about the film is there's all kinds of areas that, you know, I, I haven't even talked about, first of all. And if I've talked about them, it's talking about them in a third person kind of way me back then this is what i went through right. this is like people are right there as i'm going through it it's real time mm -hmm. and nobody's seen any of the footage or heard any of the actual clips so it's pretty it's pretty powerful and even even for me like every time i see myself and and i go back to that moment where i took that blindfold off and it was the the most overwhelming feeling i can i've ever had in my life and i go back and i i can't help but cry when i see that yeah. even now however many times that i've seen it just because i remember what that was like i remember looking out into the world and seeing a whole world of light and joy and love that i'd hardly ever fully allowed myself to enjoy mm. to really take in all of that so not only was there this overwhelming appreciation for everything that I was seeing, but this deep, deep grief for the 40 years, 39 years that I'd lived without fully enjoying it and, and really loving my life and loving the relationships that were within my life. Mm. And, uh, and it was just all condensed in this one moment where it all hit me. And I, I could feel that coming on. I could feel how much I'd shifted, more than I'd ever shifted in any other journey in any other journey experience and i've had some powerful journeys and you know my audience has heard about a lot of them but this was profound so when i was thinking about coming out i was like how the hell am i even going to do this it's like mm. how how do i go back to the world my own life that i used to know and and the and the way of thinking that that i used to be and and hold hold this me that i've you know kind of forged in the darkness because i could feel that it was still fragile and um you know i wish i could say that from that day forward i strode out of the darkness and i was a new man forever no you know like the old habits the old patterns they drew me back into the old ways i don't look outside at every sunset and nearly burst into tears with appreciation for everything that i have i've gotten used to it again mm. and i think that's something that we have to you know we can work on that and uh but it's beautiful to see this and just get reminded just get a glimpse and i think people watching might just get a taste of it as well. Just a little reminder of like, wow, this is regardless of what's going on and how challenging things might be, because things are very, very challenging. I mean, there's, you know, not only people getting sick and actually dying, but then there's all of the mechanisms of control that are being overlaid on top of that and all of the, you know, financial concerns and everything that people have had to deal with. But still, but still there's great, great beauty here. Mm. And, um, and so I think it's important to anchor to that and not get too lost in this idea that the world's all gone to hell. Because yeah. yeah, there may be some challenging things, but can you still kiss your lover? And can you still, you know, pet your dog? And can you still taste your food? And can you still, you know, make love and laugh with your friends? If you can, there's so much beauty, infinite beauty here for us yeah. to experience. And that's yeah. what we're fucking fighting for anyways. 
totally. And I, I think this is like, all of it is necessary. Uh, there, I was actually just listening to um, Sacred Economics, um, Charles Eisenstein's mm -hmm. book. And towards the end, he says, uh, he's, is, was it back in 2012? He was talking about the housing bubbles and everything. And, and he was saying these, these financial crises, they're, they're, they're not gonna go away. It's gonna keep happening probably in the next couple of years. And he said, but this is, this is how change works. Change, the, the exact quote he said was, change rarely comes in the absence of crisis. And I think that's, you know, again, we're talking about preference, like what, what the world's dealing with right now is heavy, but just before that, who did we have as a president, Barack Obama? What was his slogan? Change, you know, yeah. like, you know, it was like, yes, we can, but it was mm -hmm. all about change. Yeah. And so we've been culturally, globally asking for change. We we see that, you know, there's there's things that need to be worked on in society for sure. And we're far, you know, we're advanced in some ways and it feels like we're still archaic in other ways, but, um, that's what I loved about what you were, especially at the beginning when you were saying, see if I can get the what you said right. But like, I think fundamentally there's two choices that a person has. You can either wait for the darkness to come find you, wait for the challenges of the world to come find you, and then you can be reactionary and, and just hope that you're up for the challenge. Or you can start doing what rites of passages have been for how long? and enter yourself into the darkness, enter yourself into challenging experiences and learn what those things are always there to teach you. It's always about like, what is it here to teach you? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're gonna take that, you know, beyond the physical, when you leave this place, it's what you learned, what your soul got to experience and how you were able to, to stand in honor of what the soul was whispering to you the entire time. And the thing I love about darkness, I love psychedelics, I love any kind of challenge and rites of passage, um, whether it be physi physiological or psychological, but darkness predates all of it. Mm -hmm. Darkness predates even concepts. It, it predates the, the human mind, it predates like all creation. You know, when you're looking at the Tao, I remember you had on, who was it that was? Um, Daniele Bellelli. Yeah. And you were talking about how like the Tao is older than God, mm -hmm. you know? So I, when I was making Psychedelica uh, for Gaia, I remember I found out that the endocannabinoid system has been on this planet for 60 million years. We found it in sea cucumbers, sea squirts, um, the same, and it hasn't evolved much, those receptor sites. But the plant, cannabis, didn't come along for like, you know, that's only been here a couple million years. So there's something about that that I thought like, so I wonder if the the kind of cannabis experience existed back then. Well, no, it couldn't have because humans wouldn't have been around. So what we're thinking about like here is like, what does darkness give you when, when you are in a, a, like let's say a dark room and you're experiencing that, you're experiencing something that predates what psychedelics could probably bring you to. So that's why I was really interested. I have yet to do a dark room retreat. I, I stood inside your dark room mm -hmm. for a little bit and it's just, it's weird how when it's shut and it's closed, everything feels different. The pressure, the air, yeah. everything feels different. And um, I just find that really curious that darkness seems to predate a lot of these other kinds of rites of passage, which is probably why you find it all around the world as far back in time, you know, and culture as you can go and as far across the globe as you can go. We found the Kogi, which is probably my favorite in Northern Colombia. 
um, but the uh, Eleusinian Mysteries, there's the Telestrion. Um, and I think that was uh, in the myth, no, uh, Mithraeum in the cult of Mithras. Mm -hmm. The Telestrion was, I think, you know, the, the ancient Greeks uh, in Athens. There were um, Celtic, Egyptian. Yeah, the inner chambers of the pyramids yep. <laughs> designed acoustically and in absolute darkness. Mm -hmm. You know, so many different ways. My teacher learned from a Hindu tradition where they would go into caves mm -hmm. and the, you know, the great yogis would, you know, stay in the caves for sometimes months. Yeah. Know, and just just bask in the darkness till they could see, you know, see the truth that emerged in there. Ananda Bozeman, um, who's one of the experts that uh, he basically, he started, he coined dark room retreats. Um, and like before, who is it? Montauk Chia, because uh, Montauk Chia apparently learned from Ananda Bozeman and then Montauk went off and wrote dark darkness technology or something like that. Um, but Ananda, he, he gets his name also from the Hindu traditions. And he says that it goes back way farther than any documents will tell you. And he, he had stories of, there was a woman who spent not 100% of the time, but um, like 60 years. And I think she was in Japan or something like that, 60 years in darkness. And she was, um, she would, leave her house every now and then. But they said the, the one thing that was so different about her was she was really old, not a single gray hair. Her complexion made her look 30 years younger. And Ananda says like, there's some real physiological, neurochemical, hormonal changes that happen when you're in darkness and you're not getting battered by light all the time, especially the artificial light. Sure. But he said that he would take people in two, three weeks in darkness. And if they weren't in a cave, they could hear the solar radiation raging outside. Even if it was dark, they could hear it. And then he says there's something about the pineal gland that can perceive UV light and um, so ultraviolet and infrared light. And after a while, if you really attune yourself to it, you can see objects in the room. You can see things in front. You can see your own nervous system. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be something to the darkness that's that's deeper than some of the other rites of passages that others have gone through. Yeah, this is the this is the womb. This is the void. You know, and that's why when I was in that podcast with Daniele Bellelli, we were talking about how the Tao could be older than God, and really, obviously that only makes sense if you separate God into the everything and the nothing, but the nothing is the substrate from which the everything is birthed. So if the Tao is the nothing, this pregnant void of possibility, then yeah, okay. It predates the God of light, the God of you know the word mm -hmm. that speaks things into existence. Totally. And so this is your access to that primordial God soup, you know, before anything is articulated into, into being and uh and you get to you get to go bathe in that you bathe in that until some part of that aspect of yourself comes online and you can see within and and see into the void all of the things that are that are coming i think it's the by far the most underrated technology that the world you know that the world has and i really hope that people watch this and more darkness retreats come available because now there's only a couple there's the hermitage out in uh in guatemala mm -hmm. i may end up starting some with a partner who's been down to the her hermitage before and um because really one of the most important things to bring to the world right now is everybody's trying to you know quote fight for the world but 
like what are you really fighting for unless you love the world mm -hmm. like first the very first thing you gotta fucking love this world and yeah. if everybody loved this world and they loved each other if we loved people you know and if we loved the world then we would all respond differently if we really could feel that we would want to save it we would want to fight for it. everybody would it would be oh yeah of course mm. like who doesn't fight for what they love right you know but i think we're missing this key point it's like we're doing this out of some moral righteousness and some because we should and maybe some little bits of love and fragments of things that we like but i know just speaking personally there's an even deeper love and appreciation that is the real emanation point of all the motivation to do this and if people could go in and strip off all of these other things you know and, and allow themselves to go through this molting process mm. and find that love within and love for the world you know then all of that would be there and um it's a, it's a scary thing you know to do it's not it's not the the easy way but the the easy way doesn't work <laughs> you right know? right and i i still feel like a, a lot of it for one having gratitude for the process we're in globally no matter whether you're in literal darkness or just proverbial darkness having gratitude for the process i just interviewed this guy paul mills and uh, his um his um wife or partner tiffany barsodi and he was the the head of the Chopra Foundation. And he was saying he did a big study on um, gratitude and keeping a gratitude journal actually lowered inflammation around the heart. It, it did a lot of, you know, really interesting things that other things could not reach. So for one, having gratitude for the process, and then also just understanding that like, it is through these kinds of um, changes in the world that we get faced with options and choices. Because when we're su super comfortable, we're just in our groove, yeah, sure. we're in our pattern. And what I really love is like, you know, take, take a note out of the book of the Kogi in Northern Colombia. They're this tribe that lives in the mountains of Northern Colombia. And they take select children to become not shamans, but high priests. And they're called uh, mamas or um, mamus. And that they're basically, taken from birth until they're nine to 12 years old in pitch darkness, which is just crazy. Imagine like, you know, most people would say, well, that's child abuse, but to them, that's the highest honor. And there's a movie called Aluna and they, in their tradition, Aluna is the great mother. It's darkness. And that's where everything comes from. So you need to go into darkness to connect back with what predates all of these not just um, externalities, but our preferences as well. And so the interesting thing about that movie is when they came out, you like they didn't, you know, you see them walking around seeing culture for the first time, going on a plane for the first time. So they have to put on shoes for the first time. And they're not sitting there with buggy eyes. Like, what is all this? They're not, you know, you know, like mystified by it in any way. They see it and they're like, you could tell they're like, yeah, I got a lot of work to do. All right. You know, they see what needs to be done, but they see themselves as big brother and they can see what's being done to the planet. And they actually believe that there are certain spots on planet earth that need to be protect protected because it um, houses our connection, um, their connection between the waters and the top of the mountain, but also their connection with Aluna. Mm. And so the destruction of the planet literally and figuratively is our disconnection from that kind of darkness. And the, there was this one spot in that movie 
where this guy from BBC took um, took one of the Kogimamus to an observatory and they did a printout of um, just all these galaxies. And here's this Kogimama just staring at this printout, puffing on his pipe. And then um, he just points at a star and it's the only individual star. Everything else is a um, galaxy. And he names it and he says, that's, you know, so far away, you can't see it with the naked eye, blah, blah, blah. And this is where, um, you know, I think some, some, some of our ancestors or an energy of our ancestors come from. And you see the astronomer like, okay, he just located the one individual star, the only individual star on this entire map immediately. And he didn't name it the same way, but many things he said about it was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So I think a, a lot of the times, like the reason why we're not seeing the world with such, uh, you know, just awe and, and beauty is because we're so deeply in our grooves and there's not enough of a crisis to to wake us up from some of our habituation. Yeah. So in that sense, I have to say, I'm super grateful for what's happening in the world. It's not like I don't see the suffering that sure. it's causing, but I, I just go back to that Charles Eisenstein quote, like what change has ever come in the absence of any kind of crisis? And the Chinese characters, crisis and change and opportunity are the same. Mm -hmm. So I, I find that to be, Super fascinating. When you really see the state of inner being and you see the Aluna, you see the great mother, you see the, you know, the source and the substrate from which all of, all of which it comes, it starts to change your understanding about how to stand for what we want to fight for and what we believe in. You know, I've been, I've been seeing some clips of what's been happening in Australia and, you know, really challenging to watch you know police coming in and arresting people for organizing peaceful protests and you know censorship that's been going on and then the actual protests themselves them people just getting shot with rubber bullets and sprayed yeah. with pepper spray did you see the girl getting taken from her father that yeah yeah as a dad that riles yeah me up. i mean it's 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 really intense and and but some part of me thinks like the way in which the way in which revolution must happen must be from a whole different set of understandings and rules you know and i could only imagine the different approach which is like with utter calmness and love like going up to those who are enforcing these rules mm -hmm. because the people enforcing them they're just kind of doing it because it's i, I don't think they're bad people no. you know they're not like malicious and these are like the the dogs of hell that are out you know unleashed on humanity they're just following orders and they think they're doing the right thing and they believe in the kind of ideas that have been coming down to them about how to do this but really like walking up to them and even if it's not with a bunch of other people and just introducing yourself being like hey um i'm aubrey and you know and then just start speaking vulnerably and mm. like let them see the humanity in here like yeah. like say something vulnerable like you know my dad was really hard on me when i when i grew up and it was always difficult for me to feel like i was worthy of love but you know, I've been working on that a lot. And, you know, sometimes I don't get there. Sometimes I do, but just like going and talking to them and like, what's your name? You know, like I bet. And just finding the commonality between that person behind the riot gear and the SWAT gear and the visors and saying like, hey, you know, I'd love to buy you a coffee at some point, mm -hmm. you know, and talk to you more about this and yeah. just have this whole different approach. Like what um, Starhawk wrote about in her book, Fifth Sacred Thing, when the oppressors were coming in, they didn't fight them. They just welcomed them, continued to welcome them for a seat on the table. And some of them were shot and killed, yeah. but ultimately they won the revolution by embracing 
these people who really everybody just wants to be loved everybody mm-hmm. wants this this is true and that's the that's like using the superpower but all too often i'll see these things like you know good thing we got our guns i'm like the moment that it comes to guns we're fucked right we're absolutely fucked because we've then bought into the whole paradigm of guns versus guns and it's never going to work and the moment someone pulls out a gun the moment the other guns the unlimited supply of guns starts pointing back at us like it cannot work right we have to just completely shed that model and come into a new model but to get to that understanding to really feel that and trust that you need some of these tools some of these consciousness technologies whether it's darkness whether it's plants whether it's breath work whether it's meditation whether it's a gratitude practice whether it's nature whether whatever yeah like you just got to find that so it's real so you can trust it so you can like come from that point and this is i think one of the opportunities that's going to come and i i don't think we're going to see any actual change happen until people start adopting this other way of being and so i'm grateful that the psychedelic revolution is at hand and all of these medicines are coming online and of course the one thing that you know nobody will ever be able to take from us even if we're locked down in our house we got our breath and we got a dark room that we can make you know mm-hmm. we can black out the windows you know fucking tape tinfoil up over those things if you really want to like whatever you can do it and like we have access to these technologies and i think we have to feel it in our heart first and then let ourselves organize in a completely different way and trust the love and humanity and trust the divine in everybody all the way from the you know police on the front lines to the politicians backing them to the corporations behind the mm-hmm. politicians all the way back as far as you want to go you know all the way back to the to that initial you know source of that energy like it's going to be love that changes all of it the moment we show up with violence to combat the violence I think we're lost. I don't think this is going to work. It's setting a bad example as well. I mean, like, I, I know, especially here in the United States, we think back to the revolution and we we glorify that, but it was war. You know, let's let's not call it what it's not. It was war. What was the percentage of the population, of the U.S. population that engaged in the war? It was like 4% or less. So most of the other people, they didn't even want to engage with it. So, but I mean, I think in that respect, yeah, we have our guns and it's, it's okay to have that right. But I, I absolutely agree. Like if it comes to that. I mean, I have my, I have my guns. I I enjoy shooting them and whatever. And in a specific circumstance, I'm not saying that there's zero chances ever where a gun is the right choice. I, I would never say that. Right. But not in this, not in this situation, not in the macro, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, like we, in our minds, we, we have to, it's evolutionary where we we project out into where things could go. What would be the worst case scenario? What would I have to do in that um, in that scenario? I think like with plant medicines and you know anyone who who understands that we do create, we co-create a reality, but we also in that we are creative beings. And how do you manifest? You don't manifest while shit in your pants. You know you're going to manifest more shit in your pants. Yeah. So what you said there and the way to approach this is also understanding that um yeah the the law enforcement paramilitary and everything like that these are people with families and in many ways they may not agree with what they're doing but they're also in the world that's going maybe not fully nuts i wouldn't i wouldn't say we're going crazy you know like we're dealing with change change is always stressful but you know these police officers and military people they're dealing with a changing world as well and so what do people fall back on when it feels like everything's going chaotic? You need to control something. You need to feel like you control something. 
And I feel that there's goodness in everyone. How do you ignite that? Yeah, you yeah. don't do that with the guns, you mm -hmm. know, like that That will just set up, well, the next crisis that comes along, will only have this one to fall back on and this one was bloody. Mm -hmm. So for sure, I think that there are good people in high places as much as people believe that like the the, the richest of the rich and, you know, whatever, the, the controllers, there's just evil in them. I, you know, I understand when you look back at Gandhi and the peaceful, you know, the sit down, um, peaceful protests that many could say it didn't, it didn't work, but what do we think working is? What, what's our concept of what would have worked? Could we have stopped what's going on in the world right now if we'd have done something different 10, 15 years ago? And is that good for our soul? Maybe we absolutely need this. So I, I would say, how do we encourage? This is why I have a news show. I can't stand politics, to be perfectly honest. It yeah, nauseates me. But I do a news show as a way to show, like I never see a single, even the news stations that I think are a bit more balanced, I never see any of them that they point out what they see as the problem, but how do we forgive? Yeah. How do we have love? There's no examples of love. It's always heads on chopping blocks. Who's to blame this time? And you know, like, how, how do we frame it to make you understand you, the helpless audience member, the victim, know that these are the enemies. I'll tell you who your enemy is. That, that's what I saw in most news. So I have always thought like, what if we could talk about these things in ways that are more um, apparent to our inner process? Like we as individuals need to learn something from this. And if we don't learn, it's very easy to be like, well, I can't wait till somebody else takes care of this for me. Like, come on, you know, nanny state, please just figure this out so I can go back to what I was doing previously. Do we really want to go back to what we were doing previously? I don't think so. I mean, that like we never want to backtrack. Yeah, this is the opportunity for a real revolution of ideas, mm. you know, and the revolution of ideas that's necessary to save you know, the environment to, I mean, I think the world will eventually self-correct anyways, you know, whether we're here or not. I have a lot of faith in Aluna that she's going to sort it out. But nonetheless, if we want to be here in conjunction with the world, like we had to change anyways. So this is the catalyst that's giving us, as we've discussed that opportunity, but it needs to be, it needs to be total. And mm. there's also, this is just the beginning of a very large revolution of ideas where everything has to be relearned. As, as Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. When he accessed the Christ within, mm. that universal non-judgment and love, behold, I make all things, all things are new. Yeah. You know, and everything that you see out in the world. And that's the, that's the revolution that's at hand. And standing for that, that's something that's that's meaningful. And uh, I think it's also easy to get lost in this idea that, yeah, of course, you know, have a sense of, you know, have a sense of prescience, like this is important that, you know, we speak up, but also be mindful that we don't have to fix everything immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, like dig in for the long haul, conserve your energy, be mindful, you know, like be mindful of everything that's going on and, and just be ready to stand for generations for love and, yeah. and for care for all beings, everybody, and not excluding anything. Because just as there's good in everybody, and this is another thing that I, I wanna chat with you about is, just as there's good in everybody and love in everybody, if we look closely inside, we'll also see some evil in ourselves and in everybody. Like there's nothing external that's out there. Like there's evil out there, but me, I'm clean as a whistle. You know, <laughs> like I'm fucking sparkly on the inside, bullshit. Right. <laughs> like bullshit, if it exists out there, it exists inside too. 
And I think that's something that, you know, builds the commonality of all this and that we have it, we have a bit of everything. There's, there is some, not only, you know, people, people always use euphemisms too. Like, you know, my, my shadow, my blah, blah, blah. Like when you get angry at somebody and I say you universally, I'm mm -hmm. not talking about you, Ben, but when you get angry at somebody, there's some part of it that unleashing that anger that feels good, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it just feels good. It feels good when you yell and you like, you get that out. Why does it, well, that's like a little, that's taking pleasure in somebody else's pain mm. in dominating them in some you know violent communication at the very least it feels good you know like there's a there's a release of something well that is in my definition anything that feels good that you do that hurts somebody else you know that's a little bit of evil that's the evil energy feeling mm. good from somebody else's pain it's the ultimate in separation saying that my feelings i can i can feel good while you don't you have to be lost in so much delusion to say that you are not me living another life right. so that i can feel good while you don't and we can move these different seesaws where mine can go up and yours can go down you have to be really deeply lost in delusion for evil to exist like that but it's in there yeah. it's in all of us like all of us have felt what the buddhists call the shempa the hook and then the release of the hook what don miguel ruiz says like that poison dart that we'll throw in somebody when we're filled with poison and it feels good to stick them with that dart yeah in the moment and then you know hours later like fuck i'm sorry like i'm such an asshole and then we point the poison back at us and just build more poison reservoirs mm. ready to unleash on another person and this is the this is that thing this cycle that we've got to break this is the wheel that we got to break but to to really look and say like yeah all right there's some things that i get turned on by that are hurting other people there's some things that feel good that are hurting and that's that's in me some of us have more than others because yeah. of whatever's been patterned in us throughout our life and whatever's whatever's happened maybe it's just a natural inclination it's okay like it's okay we all got a little bit of that in us but what are what are our choices you know can we forgive that within us so that we can forgive that out in the world and then can we move from a different choice a choice for love instead of a choice for unleashing these pleasures that feel good at someone yeah. else's cost you know it's interesting when you mentioned that because um you know uh as far as in communication with somebody getting riled up and raising your voice uh, most often really is a jab at the other sometimes it's authentically showing this is this is what you woke up inside me and perhaps it's not for the end result to make you feel like shit for it but you get to see what you woke up inside me by you know by whatever it was you know and so there's an aspect of that this is kind of why i became a filmmaker in my first few films like i remember that i was in a band um called hyrosonic and i was just touring nationally all the time. And people were asking like, what are your lyrics about? So I decided to make a film. I thought it was gonna be a 15 minute film about the band. It turned into a two hour film that had nothing to do with the band, <laughs> just my philosophies about the world. But it was stream of consciousness. I didn't put the skeleton together and then build on top of it. I just built it out, edited it, put everything to it as I was building it. And um, before I finished it, I started putting clips up on Google videos. It was before YouTube and people were like, please finish this film so I can buy a thousand copies and hand it out. And I had a ton of people asking because they wanted to hand this out. And I was like, wow, am I really going to like, cause this is turning out kind of like a, 
um, a conspiracy film. And I was like, I never wanted to just make a conspiracy film. So I figured I'd put a twist ending to it, which was all about human potential. And now people were like, oh, I love the last 15 minutes of that film. Yeah. And I was, and I asked the book, cause there was a bunch of people that only saw the last 15 minutes and they were like, yeah, it's really good. And then when they saw the whole thing, they were like, whoa, that changed my life. And I was like, did it, did it feel as good? And they're like, no, it didn't feel as good until it got back to the ending where it reminded me how powerful I was. And so I really wanted to ask, cause I was about to just drop all of the, you know, I'll just talk about human potential if people aren't enjoying the awakening part of seeing the world differently. And they're like, no, I, th I feel like I needed to see that stuff, but I also needed to be reminded of my own power. And for me, the reason I became a filmmaker is because I think, you know, when it comes to like seeing darkness or what we would like to say is the things that we would prefer not to have in the world, the evil and all that. Um, again, that's just our preference. And I, to me, I feel like, why do we make it so dark? Why are we so afraid of seeing things slightly different? Like we're, we're okay with saying, yeah, there's a predatory, you know, um, economic model and blah, blah, blah. But don't tell me that people's intentions are bad, right? You know, or don't tell me that people have the intention of like further cracking down and whatever we're seeing today in the world, it's not gonna go away, it's just gonna get worse. And so I really had to toe a line because what my main intention was with all films is to give people technologies and tools to awaken themselves. But my promise to them was, I'm not gonna sugarcoat or, or lie about what I see in the world. I'm not right. I, I may not be 100% right about what I see in the world, but there's a certain way that I'll put like, this is how the system came to be. It's, you know, I, I never thought it was just ignorance and ineptitude that, that built what's going on in the world today. I always felt there was some direction and organization to it. But the thing that always set me apart from most other people that went down that path was I never took it too heavy. I never found that this was like, you know, dark and it's gonna lead to anxiety. First time I actually saw a film, the, the moment I became a filmmaker, I was watching a film called Zeitgeist, uh, if, if you've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was not just on one event, it was pretty global. It was talking about religion and then 9-11 and then RFID chips and, you know, track and trace technology but I saw it on a plant medicine and it didn't scare me at all. Like there were, there was like a, I had to stand up from my computer and I just shook my head and I was like, whoa, somebody who made this film really, really, they didn't want me to know their name because it was anonymous. They put it together really well with a lot of artistry and uh, had a dope ass soundtrack to it. And I was like, that felt like this person didn't want any of my money, not an email address, anything. They just wanted me to wake up. And I was like, I want, I want people to feel like I'm speaking to their soul, yeah. you know, not trying to get something out of them other than like, I know you're a human. I know you're listening. I know you're probably scared, but guess what? We're fucking humans. Mm. Like, I think we forget humans are incredible. And so right now we're like, I don't think the system disempowers us. I think we buy it. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's an easy system to become convenienced by. And then we get used to the convenience. And a couple of generations later, we're like, this is what we are owed. I'm owed all this convenience. And then when the convenience starts going away, and we're seeing that in the world right now, people get angry. And I get that. But to me, it's always about like, well, how do we remind people 
to remember who they are, to remember that we're a human being. And, and we've, we've lost the memory of how incredibly powerful that is and also the responsibility that it is our, also our duty. We're not here just to feel great until we die. We didn't get a memo from God saying that, you know, okay, here's all the things you're owed in life. And if you don't get it, just come back to me and I'll take care of it. We didn't get any of that. So I could die tomorrow. So I'm grateful for the world, even the world as, as it is right now. And that's why I became a filmmaker is because I, I want people to see that darkness, it ain't so bad mm -hmm. once you actually look at it and it's not gonna kill you. And actually that's where your teacher's at. If you've been looking for a teacher, especially me, I've been looking for a spiritual teacher for years and years and years. And in a ceremony that I just did, which we'll probably talk about, um, it dawned on me, it's my daughter, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's the simplest relationship in the world. And, and it's also in my fear. So keep looking behind my fears because it's not in all the things I, you know, I do for play and fun. My real teachers are hiding in the places I'd rather not look, of yeah. course. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't mean that everybody's teachers are the same, you know, that exactly. everybody's teacher is going to be their daughter or, or maybe some, for some people, their teacher is play because everything in life is too serious. Yeah. And finding that. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, just to kind of wrap up these thoughts on, on, uh, on the evil that's within and the, and the shadow that's within, you know, I saw a clip online um, on Instagram and it was somebody posting a clip from a video game they were playing. And in the video game, they were playing this ghoul with these just big jagged knives, right? And it's first person point of view. And they're chasing down humans in a graveyard and slashing them to death, right? As the video game. And it's funny because we'll, we'll have these video games, even Grand Theft Auto is another version of that where you can like run over people and mow them down and then yeah. you get to play the villain. And then there's horror movies where you get to, you know, see all kinds of these things, perverse things done to other people. And, and then obviously pornography, all different areas where these things are pandered to. But at the same time, no one really wants to look and say like, wait, why, why is it that that is appealing to me? Mm -hmm. like why is it i mean we know that we're different than that we know that we didn't don't want to actually do that right but nonetheless there's some appeal to it you know and there's some appeal to this and so if we start to just see that within ourselves, then that's how we're able to forgive those people who've just you know who've exhibited that trait even more yeah. you know and say like all right i get it you got you got more of this going on and maybe that means that it's so strong and it's such a the delusion is so strong that you do need to go to jail, you know, and you do need to go to jail and we can't have you hurting other people. We have to step in and intervene. And maybe some of the interventions have to be lethal. Like mm -hmm. we have to kill you to save, you know, other people from being hurt by you. And I understand that. And I, and I think that's, that's all very pragmatic and reasonable. But in that moment, we should also recognize that this is just them exhibiting something that's in all of us just to a stronger degree. And even if, even if we hit the switch on the electric chair, like mm. nonetheless, we do that with great sorrow yeah, and great sadness that this is the last choice. Yeah. You know, like this is the last, or if we shoot someone like this is the last available option. And that's it's Aikido. What, yeah. Cause Aikido is not about banging heads around and being a better fighter. It's, right. you know, my, one of my favorite stories, I think it might've even been um, uh, Ram Das that talked about it. But he said, um, you know, there was this Aikido master. He wasn't a master. He, he was training for a while and he got on a bus and um, he, he sees this, 
this guy that's causing trouble, big, you know, guy. And he's thinking like, you know, okay, if this goes any farther, I'm going to need to step in and stop this guy. So he starts like getting his body ready for a fight, right? And right before he he walks over there and he's like, all right, I'm going to have to do what I have to do. He's He's got this savior thing going on inside him. And right before it gets to that point, there's this little old Japanese man sitting on the uh, on the bus and he just diverts the man into a conversation and he starts talking, he said something, it's just like, I have these persimmons and I have too many of them. You want to sit down and have a persimmon? And then the guy, you know, he, he stops dead in his tracks and he says, my, my ex used to love persimmons. And eventually it got into a conversation and the guy, like the big burly guy was crying in this little Japanese man's lap. And the student was like, that's an Aikido master, yeah. neutralizing harm. It's not about, you know, you know, whooping someone's ass who's about to whoop someone else's ass. Mm -hmm. It's really about how do you neutralize the harm? And yeah, I, I totally get it. You know, Call of Duty was being played at my high school as military was there recruiting, right? You know, and I thought that was kind of ridiculous as well. And I also see what you're saying is like, you know, there is an aspect of us that does get turned on by by this gruesomeness. And part of that, I was just reminded earlier because the wood chipper that was going yeah, on outside. I, know, right? I had wood this, chipper interlude. I had this ceremony where I was seeing just mutilation and just you know people being fed into wood chippers and the most grotesque stuff you could imagine. Luckily, I've had enough experience that I I didn't invest myself in it. I didn't you know get carried away in it. I was just like, okay, that's what the body looks inside out. That's that's life, you know. Afterwards, and you know. Man, it is gruesome to look at, but I don't feel fear right now, and I can just look at it without being attached to it. Now, those visuals are still, you know, very freshly in my mind because this was just a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there is something to be said for understanding that, like, part of our evolution and our growth as individuals is going to be facing things that we never thought we would ever be okay with, and maybe we never will be okay with. But there is an element of this is there in the world. And, you know, I don't make choices for other people. And part of this whole thing of free will is, you know, other people have to make their choices. And yeah, they'll experience the karma of that. They will experience whatever the, the end result of that action is. But where what is my soul telling me to do? Is it to intervene and to stop them from having that conversation or from, yeah, you help people if someone's gonna get hurt, uh, if, if you can, if you can step in. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't want to divert too far. But you know, no, that's that's, that's what I the medicine right showed on. me. Yeah, I, I had that experience in the darkness too, and it was hours upon hours. And for me, it wasn't a wood chipper; it was like a wheat thresher. But instead of wheat stalks, it was bodies, and it was just mowing over these bodies—kids, adults, whatever. Wow. And again, I've had plenty of experience in plant medicine to know that if you resist such things, then you get in fear and then you get worked up and then you get emotionally invested. And then that that's the that's what makes a bad trip. You become one of the bodies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Or you just kind of witness it. Mm. And fundamentally what I've learned is I'm shown those things just to, to learn acceptance, to learn to say like, can you, even though you would never choose this, can you love this too? Yeah. Like that's what God's saying. Like, can you love this too? And it's like hard. It's so hard to get to that, to get to that point where you're like, all right, I understand that this is this is God too, the destruction. You know, Shiva destroys 
So, you know, as Brahma creates, Brahma creates, Shiva destroys. This mm -hmm. is the wheel. This is the cycle. This is Nataraja, you know, which are the two expressions of Shiva, the one that destroys and the one that creates, dancing yeah. in the fire. And this understanding is very it's difficult. And it's it's also, you know, it that natural destruction, like at some point, this planet is going to self-destruct. Our sun's going to self-destruct. Like things end. Right. You know, like things will end no matter what. And we live in a cataclysm. Like this is a part of it. It's just a part of the thing. So getting to that level of acceptance is important. I think the the distinction is, is you can have acceptance for that, but it doesn't mean that you're encouraging it or hoping for it or wanting it or certainly being the agent that acts upon it. For like sure. I think we're here to stand for something else because the other principle is also true. And and this is this is kind of a priori to that principle that everything must be destroyed. Well, we're also, we are everything. So every time something is destroyed, we are destroyed too. Like we cannot escape our state, a state of inner being. Mm. Like we cannot. So that's why everything bad done to another person is us doing it to ourselves. And we may not feel it because our ego may be strong enough and we've learned and our ego is so dominant and the ego, the one that says, I am not you, I am not God. You know, ego standing for I am, but really it's saying I am not, like I am separate. Yeah. I'm distinct. I am me. You are you. Fuck you. You know, like that's what the ego wants to say, but it's not ultimately true. It's only true in one, in one dimensional reality where the ego exists, but truly in interbeing, we're all the same. So there's nobody who can go into a wood chipper or underneath a wheat thresher. That's not us in the wood chipper, or us in the wheat thresher, but nonetheless, the wood chipper and the wheat thresher metaphorically it, it exists it's a it's an essential part of nature the destruction of all things so that new things can be birthed and so it's this interesting paradox of radical acceptance of these elements of destruction and chaos and then also the recognition that every single time no matter what no matter if it's an animal whose life you're taking to eat you know or matter if it's a it's a person or of course or mm -hmm. plant or whatever like this is a part of us and send it that gratitude and say like you know thank you brother sister animal plant you know whatever whatever's happened like this is a part of us that's been put through the wheel totally you know i was just thinking there because you know in a state of gratitude you're not so much in a state of fear and i i was even thinking when i was in that um Silawaska journey that a lot of the things that at least for me a lot of the things i become afraid of are not the things that are even happening right now, even in a journey. It's the fear that this might still escalate from this point. Because I was thinking, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, the whole world could end, like we could try our hardest to correct all of what we call the problems in the world. And, you know, finally dust our hands off. There, we did it. Perfect economy, perfect everything. And an asteroid comes and destroys it all. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was it for? You could have been in gratitude the, the whole time. And that's not to say you can't build a better world in gratitude. Um, but I was even noticing like a lot of what people are dealing with today saying, this is terrible. This is a terrible state of affairs. I believe what they're really saying is if this keeps going in this direction, like, like um, ayahuasca, yeah. because, you know, when it starts coming on, you're like, Ooh, I hope it, it's, it stops at some point, right? Yeah, it, I hope yeah, it doesn't yeah, just yeah. keep escalating faster and faster because that's when it starts to feel like the losing of control mm. is I don't even know where this goes from here. Like this is kind of scary, but what if it gets even scarier? Like the world right now 
it might be pretty scary to some people. It might be, you know, very uncomfortable to some people, but step it up five notches and people will be begging for August of 2021. Yeah. So it really is in that sense of perspective. And the greatest lessons I've ever gotten was you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. Love, you love, know, love what the is. people. Yeah, love what is. There are people who are afraid, who are scared right now. Be there for them. Like, you know, really truly relish the relationships that you have with others, with, you know, the the plant kingdom, with yourself. And really just just move through that and discover where the gratitude exists in the struggle. Yeah, we are we're always trading the rapture of our present moment for some future better moment. Mm. You know, like we have it available right now, like just a plenum of ecstasy that, that we can tap into. And I know that from being in the darkness. I know how I even go on this rant about how I used to be frustrated in airports. Oh my God, I can't believe my flight's 30 minutes late. And I was thinking about it in the dark. Like I had my, I had music, I had people I could talk to. I could jump on my phone and call somebody that I loved. I could, you know, go walk around. I could eat snacks at the food court. I mean, it was like a whole circus of activities. And there I was like, oh God, I can't believe I'm stuck in the fucking airport. And I was like, what an idiot. You know, like it was all there. It was magical, right. that experience of being in the airport. But it was because of my preference. I was, I had a miserable time and I'd go home and I'm like, oh, I can't believe my flight got delayed. Can you believe it? And everybody's like, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's all this, but like everything can be a gift. Like mm. we can find the gift in all of these different experiences. And as you said, you know, the way to have no regrets, the only, the only way to have no regrets is to love everything the whole way. When I pulled that blindfold off, you know, the grief, the grief was, is that I hadn't felt what I was feeling then for my whole life. And I felt like I couldn't get that time back. You know, I could never yeah. get back all of that time where I could have loved the world in a better way. But still with that understanding, like it's not like I give myself an A plus in, in, in living that. And that's why I've always been called back to the darkness. Um, to go back in and like continue to revive that because there was no feeling, there was no feeling better than what I was feeling at that moment, mm. like how in love with everything that I was. And uh, the more that I can feel that, that's that, that's what gives you that hokahe mentality where you can look out at the sky and say, you know, today is a good day to die. Mm -hmm. It's because you've lived so full, yeah. so rich. Like everything has been bursting at the seams with love and joy and gratitude and pain and struggle and laughter and anger. And all of the things are so rich. You've really felt them like the life of the warrior poet. Mm. You know, you've really felt that. And then you can look out and say, all right, hokahe, today's a good day to die. Totally. Totally. And that's 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 the place that I'm always striving for. And at the same time, the striving in some ways pushes you farther away from it. It's like, just can I really accept, accept that reality now? Like know that it's here. Yeah. It doesn't need anything else. I just got to click into it. I got to just got to make one small sidestep pivot of perspective and I'm right there right there i wonder you know you're like you with your audience what you're doing the kinds of topics that you get into um from my perspective i can't help but see that that's also perfect that i mean we all we all forget the things we want to remember especially like the stuff from plant medicine you're like i'm never gonna forget this yeah. and two weeks later you know it's the, yeah. it's the same you again but you remember quicker each time 
And I feel like, you know, with you specifically, there's so many eyeballs on you and your process and you speak to your own process very well. So people can kind of track along with it. And I feel like the forgetting and the remembering and that kind of that toggling back and forth is something that is probably very, maybe you in your entire life will never see or feel the true impact of why you have to keep forgetting and why you keep remembering and then forgetting again um, because you speak and people listen. And a lot of the times, if if you're just listening to, I remember thinking like, I love Eckhart Tolle. When you listen to him speak, it sounds like uh, he is just in that state all the time, isn't <laughs> yeah, he? For sure. All the time. And sometimes it's not relatable anymore. And, you know, not for him, you know, cause I read his books and it just, it, it resounds and it hits very well. But there's something very authentic about that. Yeah, I too forget. And then I remember. And when I remember, I bring a little bit more back and I get to speak it into these microphones and thank God for technology. Millions of people yeah. can hear my voice going through this. And part of the thing that I do, my news show, my my podcast and everything like that is really encouraging people to like express what it is you came here to express. Like you have a voice and, and um, I love Paul Check. He did this uh, podcast a while back where he was talking about um, um, something about like your careers. And he talked about the word vocation. He was like the root of that vocare is voice, your voice. Mm. You came here to do, so it's more than just your vo uh, voice box. It's how you express yourself. It's how you live in the world. And so inspiring people to use their voice so others can see the path not the end result. Cause I think when you look at Eckhart, you know, you look at him and you're like, you're, it almost feels like you're looking at a destination rather than the journey there. But he does talk about his journey there, thank goodness. So that talking about it is, it's helpful. You have this nice asterisk of a backstory of here he was on a park bench contemplating suicide. And then now here right. he is and seemingly uh, haven't met him in person. And I like that. But from everything I've consumed of his, written and and spoken pretty enlightened master status you know but it's hard because we didn't have a window into the old Eckhart right like we didn't really get to see it so he still feels like an alien he feels like an alien that's made this massive transformation from one state to another state and here he is and he's perfectly baked mm. like we saw we see the cookie or we see the souffle right but we don't know all all of the process that it took the mixing the stirring the baking the whole the heat the pressure of the oven everything that actually created the souffle yeah and i think that's a challenge i remember um i was in a meditation actually no plants just with uh, the guidance of a kind of a body worker intuitive guide and she was helping me through this process really went deep into my own you know meditative uh ability to kind of tap into different levels of consciousness and i felt the presence of christ come through and it was really beautiful and i was a little bit surprised always you know I, that encounters happened a few times but it's always like whoa christ whoa mm. and or jesus you know he had the figure of a of a person and he was like stroking i could see him like stroking my head and i started to cry and uh I started to, I just felt like, man, I got, I just got so much pain and I still carry so much, so much suffering and so much anxiety and so much of all of this. Like I want to 
do so much and I don't feel like I'm living up to it. And, and it was almost like this, what erupted out of me was this almost confessionary state of like, here Christ was, and it just felt like, whoa, I have, it elicited that, that his energy just elicited this, this feeling of me trying to express all of these things that I was, I was going through. And he just, just stroked my head and he just goes, me too. Wow. And I was like, whoa, me too. And that was the most powerful thing hmm. that, that any being of any type could have ever said. And because then I was like, oh, wow, like there really is, like, I'm okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I really am okay. Because if he would have been like, you're okay. You know, like, <laughs> all right, whatever, Jesus. <laughs> like, did I not, did you not just hear me? That doesn't sound okay to me, mm -hmm. you know? But like, there he was, and there he goes, me too. Like, all of these things that I was going through, every pain, every suffering, every anxiety, every, every shadow, every aspect, he's like, me too. Yeah. And in that, there was this huge, like, huge liberation that came from that. And I guess, you know, I think that's one of the best things that we can do is just don't try to appear one dimensional to right. anybody because it doesn't do anybody any good, you know, at that point. I mean, it can do some good. I'm not saying that like Eckhart's not doing people good. Of course he is. Right. But I think there's, it's really important for everybody listening, like just share your truth. And that's why my idea, this vision I had of how to rethink the, the in-person revolution of like talking to people with the riot gear on mm -hmm. and sharing something personal and vulnerable being like man i'm really i'm really scared and you know i love my wife so much and i think about this and you know i, I blah 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 whatever you're gonna share and like just just come out with it yeah like what it's so disarming when it's real don't use it as a ploy don't weaponize it and don't weaponize it on social media to get more following totally. it's bullshit if you do mm -hmm. that but do it for real like share this as as your offering as like this is the this is the proverbial olive branch. This is the piece. This is the thing. This is the bridge that can bring people into that state of inner being with you, where they're like, "Oh wow, oh yeah, that's me too." Yeah, you know, that's me on the other side of this line. You know, I'm. He may not have the gear on, but he's me. I I know I know this person, and I know this person is myself. And like we can get to that state. That's the that's where the magic is, and that's where the medicine is. Mm. You know, that's what we do in fit for service. That's one of the most important tenets. Is like these opportunities just share our truth because there's never anything that someone shares or even in ayahuasca circles you go in those ayahuasca circles pass around the talking stick someone goes through some like really challenging shit or some emotional stuff from their life even if that specific thing doesn't didn't happen to you you can feel it like wow yeah like i get it i resonate with that i can feel what you're going through those are some of the most powerful parts of ayahuasca journeys is the sharing afterwards yeah. you see people who they would never talk about this stuff but then once they see other people being vulnerable, they're like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna go there. Yeah. And you, those are always the ones where everyone is in tears afterwards. It was super meaningful, because you can tell it was that authentic. And, and again, that's what I like about you and the way that you have really, like you, you've made your voice one with the technology and what's available so it can reach so many more people. It's, um, it, it really is a fantastic world. But um, the way that you go through these processes and talk about them 
Really? I mean, that's cathartic for so many people. I've had people come to me and say like, yeah, I'm really excited to, to watch that film. And then they share with me about how they got turned on to you and what you've done for them in their lives. And it really felt like, like little, like unlocking little compartments inside them. And they just keep coming back to the podcast and, and your content, but it unlocks compartments inside them that they didn't even know was there, but it feels more real than what they were living in. So there's something about that, like just being raw and authentic with people that it disarms them, but it also reminds them, you know, yeah. it, it, it really reminds them like, you know, what, you saw Game of Thrones uh, every episode, I imagine. Mm -hmm. So I think it was the last episode, but uh, maybe it was the second to last episode. Um, and it was when Daenerys went buck wild on, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So like, then you see the whole army just going crazy. But that one moment where you see Jon Snow sitting there and then everyone around him, his own people, that his own troops that he was marching there to take over that city, they just start going crazy and they, they go to their lower drives and all he can do, this noble person, you know, is save a woman from getting raped and, you know, helping just a couple people as yep. this chaos is going on. So to me, not that I, I feel like the world is gonna go in that direction, but I feel like, you know, all we must do is what we can do. We're not, we're not asked to save the world or to do more than what we're even capable of doing. So that's why I love things like darkness retreats, rites of passage, um, anything shamanic is, it's just introducing you to you because you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, but if you know you, you know what you'll bring to it. Yeah. You know what you can bring to the moment. And, you know, for me, like, I, I don't know how I'm going to die. You know, I don't know if there will be a way to, you know, to get out of it in the moment. But the bottom line is I don't worry about those things. I don't worry about where mandates and stuff like that are going. You know, I, I, I wish to help people who are worried about those things remember. Remember that it's, it's not about the, yes, a bunch of people can, can change things on a large scale but you are not a bunch of people, you're, you're one person. Do the best you can. And that to me, that's, that's always been the saving grace. Yeah. And that's what's helped me going into some of the darkest um, ceremonies is also to acknowledge that, you know, I'm not here to become Christ. I'm not here to, by the end of this, have solved all the world's problems so I can go back and tell people, you know, how great these solutions are. You know, can I discover love where I haven't discovered it before? Yeah. I like what you say, like, you know, can you love this too? Because I've always said, you know, I did this thing on Gaia where I was talking about um, just advancing technologies. And there's a lot of people who are really pushing back against technology. And I didn't, I was talking about the dangers of it, but I'm not saying that I'm against technology. So a lot of people, it was like 56% thumbs down <laughs> on that episode. So they brought me back on to answer some of the questions. And um, really what I was saying in that respect, I was like, for one, this is Gaia, isn't it? You know how to manifest. You don't manifest from, you know, from putting yourself in a state of what you don't want more of. And for two, um, on top of that, it's where does God not exist? Like God is in everything. Oh, but not in technology. Yeah, not in I phone. hate technology. Yeah. 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 So it's like, where does love not belong? Is another question. Where does love not belong? And it's it's not like you know, I've had people say, well, yeah, okay, I love my phone, but what if it's giving me cancer? And I'm thinking like, 
how many people have phones that don't have cancer? Like sometimes you just have to flip the script in your own head because that's, we are driven by these narratives. We're driven by these scripts. Like, do you know how dangerous that is? Like, yeah. How many people are using it absolutely with no problems whatsoever? And that's not saying that there isn't some improvement to be had, but where does love not belong? Can you be in love even though there's that going on in the world? It's, yeah. it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. Well, I, I just to go back a few moments, I appreciate your acknowledgement about me sharing all this stuff that's going on. I do hope that uh, at some point I'm sharing, uh, you know, a lot more positive things than the <laughs> deeply challenging things that have been my hallmark. Um, but of course, I, <clears throat> there's a lot of love and beauty in the in my life as well. And um, and actually, in some regards, it's sometimes harder to share the totally awesome things because it's just awkward. You mm-hmm. know, like oh my god you won't believe how fucking awesome this night was you know what i mean like you're like fuck you man yeah it was my invite <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so like uh you know it is actually biased it is almost in some ways once you get used to it it's easier to share some of the challenging stuff but part of humility i think is sharing everything it's yeah. like not worrying about what people are going to think whether you're sharing something negative or sharing something positive so that's like a, you know definitely something that i that I is kind of like my my oath my honor is to like share share it as it is mm. you know and and allow myself to trust that the truth the truth will hold and that's that's the only thing because everything else is this weird game of strategy and you can always second guess that and it just leads to so much anxiety yeah and the other thing I wanted to touch on is talking about you know how important it is for love you know so you talked about the story Game of Thrones where Daenerys is teetering between rage and being like a tyrant and, mm. a, and a loving liberator figure, you right. know, the queen of the people. And there's a couple moments that shift her over to the other side, you know, like betrayals from Varys and Tyrion in certain small ways. Mm-hmm. And then Jon Snow not loving her, rejecting yeah. her finally. Like these small little acts that ultimately when she's riding her dragon, she gives the call Dracaris for the dragon fire and then all hell breaks loose and that leads it. But just a little small shift. Yeah, right. Jon Snow might have been a hero, but the way he could have saved the world is just have sex with his sister. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think it was his aunt, but, but I get you know, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but you know, I mean that's the it's just really interesting. It, obviously it was the rejection and he didn't know. I mean, then the way the story was, it all made sense, but yeah. nonetheless, like you could just see the way they painted it. I thought a lot of people talk shit about the ending as like, I thought the ending was rad because what I saw was how these small little things had such a massively different consequence. Whereas like just, just a little bit more love, if she could have gotten a little bit more love, like a little bit more support yeah, from those who were close to her. Cause at the top where she was, she had a very small circle of like her inner circle if you just had a little more love you know maybe that would have been a different a different thing that would have happened and uh and i think that's an important lesson is that in the absence of love that's what creates all of the all of the madness yeah and so the solution is always like find the places that you can love and love love as much as you can and that's how you show up you know for the good of all for sure yeah and just about the ending of of game of thrones there's one gripe i had and it was they didn't play out the white walkers enough it was one episode it was a dope episode that episode was but dope. they like i thought the white walkers were going to destroy most of the world 
and it ended in an episode. I was I was hoping for a little a little bit <laughs> more carnage. Up. They wrapped it up fast because I sure. want like to me. Here's what I wanted, and I'm not saying I want this for our world. I'm saying in that world, I wanted everyone to be rocked to their core by this other threat that nobody believed was real, and then it was all taken care of at Winterfell, and the rest of the world was just the world again. So like that was yeah. my biggest gripe about sure. it. They, you know, they did end it rather quickly, even. Um, uh, what was it, Martin? George R. R. Martin. R. R. Martin. Um, he even said, "There's no way they can end this in six episodes." And you know, they did a great job, but that was the one thing that I saw was there was this looming threat from. Uh, it was a looming threat that most people thought, like, "Yeah, that's that's not real." And I, there were so many parallels to this world as well. But then, you know, now obviously Arya was, was the badass uh, of that episode, but I wanted to see a little bit more humbling of the world yeah, because sure. of the threat that nobody thought was real. And I get it. And I also, having, I read all the books and the way up to the point, and obviously the series took it beyond the books. Yeah. But the way that George R. R. Martin was writing, and I think the reason why he stopped writing is because he was writing in like imagining starting from a single point, like the, a pyramid that's upside down or a triangle that's upside down. But the way he was writing, it was going ever and ever wider. Yeah. Like there was never any possible way that without some serious decisions that you were gonna actually be able to make that line where mm -hmm. the actual, the points where, where the thing had gone were actually gonna come back together. For sure. It was just going infinitely. I was like, there's no fucking way. I mean, mm -hmm. this is now a world that's like our world. That's a story that never ends. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and so they they decided to, I think just because of budget concerns, you know, the fact that that last season was $60 million and they figured they'd milked it out as, or however many, it was crazy, fucking crazy still, amount of money, right? Still, yeah. They were like, fuck it, you know, because each one was like a motion picture quality. Totally. You know, like a full movie quality episode. And I think they just decided. So I, I fully respect that. But I think the subtlety of the message, you know, White Walkers aside, which I agree with that opportunity. Uh, and now we're in one of those like Game of Thrones throwbacks to the series. That is like <laughs> completely off topic, but I love it. But, uh, but yeah, I think I totally hear what you're saying about that coming abrupt and a lot of things coming abrupt. But ultimately, the lesson that, you know, it's it's ultimately love that creates the lack of love that creates tyranny. And like, those little things, little things like imagine, imagine like if, you know, at some point Hitler was a little kid and imagine if he had like a really loving Nana or girlfriend, you know, and, you know, apparently he had some kind of sexual dysfunction as well and so this impotence uh. got repressed and then something was wrong with his dick and his impotent got repressed and he literally burned into this rage and this impotence and then he wanted to fuck the world right but like yeah. he had some like little loving a loving teenage sweetheart girlfriend just loved him and made him feel okay about himself and made him feel loved or so would he have been the monster that he became you know like that's yeah. the interesting thing and maybe there was those there was were those moments where the universe was like had somebody come in and there was a choice like do you love this little you know kind of character can you see the good and can you apply that love mm -hmm. and maybe that would have changed the millions of lives lost in the holocaust like you never you never fucking know but like yeah. i know i know that love has that power and i think that's what i appreciated about this story like just little insertions of love in whoever it might be like yeah. you just you just never know and it's not even about the scale it's not to prevent the next hitler or whatever the love for love's sake is what's important mm -hmm. but it is ultimately the medicine it's the medicine that 
is the only medicine that fixes. Yeah, that's why, I mean, that's why I, I really think that putting out good content, you know, I love being a filmmaker because putting out good content, you never know who it could reach. Like the, when I first started, I, I found some people like Ru Russell Brand posted his top 10, 15 favorite documentaries. And my first two films were on that list. And I was like, how did it get to him? But oh, he's just another human with computers and stuff and access to it. So I keep thinking like there are people in high places and a lot of people just assume that the, you know, the richest and most powerful people are like demented. They only psychos rise to that kind of power. And like, you have to be a certain kind of person to rise to that power. But I, like, I think that it's not that they're beyond reach. And it's also not that they're completely devoid of love. Um, and they're probably surrounded in an echo chamber that's telling them this is the only way for the real good. You know, yeah, you got to sure. crack a few eggs to make an omelet. And so making content for me, I always just feel like, like you said earlier, it's, it's not, and it shouldn't come to a revolution with, you know, however many millions of Americans still have their guns. It should be the people in the positions of power that have seen enough content that shows them there's this out there as well. Like if I stick my neck out, I'm not gonna get court-martialed and then executed in front of a bunch of like blank, mindless soldiers. These are humans as well. And if I stick my neck out and I say what I believe, there's other people who would come to my aid and my support. So giving more of an example of what would, what could love look like in a world like today. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about film. That's really what I like about this film uh, as well, because it points it directly back within. It's just like, you you went in the dark to find you. You, you went in complete darkness to see something that you couldn't in the light. Mm -hmm. And I love that because really the journey that we're all on, whether we like to say it or not, even in a family, me as a dad, I can say my journey is still my own. My kids aren't mine. I get the privilege of raising them right? And, and helping them not become, you know, the next tyrant. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all these reminders. But the bottom line is like, for me to be the best dad that I can for them, the best thing for them is for me to find who I am, to find my way. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, this has been a beautiful journey so far with you, man. And uh, obviously, as I know from writing books and doing these big things, like, uh, a big part of it is in the creation of it. And then there's another big part is just getting the word out and sharing that. And um, I've been grateful for the process to be in the creation with you and um grateful for the process of being able to spread this message. I mean, it doesn't get, doesn't get more personal <laughs> than this. <laughs> I mean, this is it. Um, so just, I appreciate you coming to me with it, man. There's uh, it was right on the heels of DMT quest and definitely um, a, it gave me something really deep and meaningful to do with my time, which is all I ever choose to do with my time. So yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Challenge is now that I'm hooked, now I'm hooked on some Ben Stewart. You know, I just want more. Now that I got, now that I got a little taste yeah. of the Ben Stewart cobbler, you know, I just want to figure out what the sequel is to this. Well, there's, there's more coming down the pike. And, you know, I, for me, it's, I love what you focus on, um, the, the, thing with darkness as a technology for awakening is it's it's free if you, if you yeah. know how to to manipulate light or get a mindfold or something like that maybe mm -hmm. that's the most you'll you'll pay like breath there are some things that we have power and resource available to us 
So future films are going to reflect that. Like mm -hmm. how do you equip people with stuff that they freely have access to, they just never had it told to them in that way. They never knew that you can augment your breath for a couple minutes and not only have a psychedelic journey, but come face to face with some things that you haven't been facing in a while, just with breath. Well, I'm breathing all day. It's like, uh-uh, you're not mm -hmm. breathing like this, mm -hmm. right? I, I'm in darkness every night, not in complete darkness. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you don't yeah, do it totally. during the day. So, you know, thank you for, for what you're doing as well. And um, yeah, I'm excited for, for more of what you got coming in the world. I think you're doing the right thing with Fit for Service and you're really, that's a service to humanity that we need a lot more of. So, so yeah, man, it's yeah, brother. cool to unite on this front. No doubt, man, no doubt. Well, onward, para bien de todos. Ah, onwards and upwards. That's it. Thank you everybody for tuning in, much love. Thanks for tuning into the podcast with Ben Stewart. Once again, there's early access streaming of the entire documentary available. Just check my Instagram, check my website. It's going to be everywhere. Go to aubreymarcus.com and you'll find it. I hope you guys enjoy the film. It's a very vulnerable thing for me to release it. When I watched it in the premiere, it was fairly devastating to actually see and go through. So I'm just excited to bring this out in the world and I hope that my journey, my struggles, my triumphs, everything that I went through is in some way valuable to you. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.